Can you believe we are in the last week of Luke? You know, in, in my mind, it kind of feels like we've been journeying through Luke for a long time. I have to almost remind myself that the reason it's been so long is because we didn't kind of start and go the whole way through in one go. We paused for various moments uh, through the last year. But yet, here we are, the last week of Luke. Uh, some of you might be wondering, well, what's coming after Luke? Uh, if you didn't see that announcement video that came out last week, uh, well, we're starting Daniel on Sunday, the 18th of April, which I am super excited about. You know, when I read through Daniel, there is so much in there. There's, there's so many fascinating elements and stories. But ultimately, the book of Daniel reminds us that God is in control. God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. Uh, what's going on around us, though it takes us by surprise, though it frustrates us and, and indeed even upsets us, it, we're kind of reminded none of this takes God by surprise. God still is on the throne. And because he's on the throne, well then, how do we live in light of that? So before I start preaching that now, join us next week as we begin in Daniel. But what about today? As we finish off the book of Luke, you know, I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul, when he instructed the church and kind of taught the church, he reminded the local church that the pastor or the pastors within the church had a specific role. And a big element of their specific role was to teach and equip the saints for works of service. It, it, the pastor's job is not to do all the work. The pastor's job is to teach and equip everybody to be able to serve in God's kingdom. You know, as Baptists, we refer to the Baptist distinctive the priesthood of all believers. That's where we get that from. We're reminded that every member in a church has a role. Every member has a part to play. We're a priesthood of believers. We don't have a hierarchy. You know, I, I'm not the boss. I'm not this big chief, you know, that kind of sits over everyone. No, no. Together we serve and we, we use the gifts God has given us in, in these different parts of the body. And so we go out and proclaim the gospel. And the whole reason we do that is because we, we're instructed by Jesus to go. To go and make disciples. I mentioned this a few weeks ago and I mentioned it in our night of worship as well. You know, when people ask, well, what's the purpose of church? What are we supposed to be doing? Why are we here? Well, our purpose is kind of twofold. On one side, we gather together in order to worship God. We magnify God. We, we praise God. And so in that worship of God, that's a big reason of why we exist. But we don't only exist to worship God. We also exist to make disciples. So in our purpose statement, when we talk about impacting the world, we talk about making disciples for Jesus Christ. And it's important that everybody plays a part in that. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just a life group leader's job. It's not just one particular person. Every one of us is invited by God and, in fact, instructed by God to respond and to serve. Each one of us is to, to share the gospel. And so just as we celebrated a few moments ago as we watched that baptism and just how awesome to see God at work in someone's life as they publicly declare their faith in Christ, 
Well, that's a product of all of us working together, of all of us praying that God would minister through this church in order to make disciples of the world around us. And so we go, and each member is involved in evangelism. Each member is involved in sharing the gospel, of being witnesses, of telling our story. You know, J.E. Conant says, Will this kind of service, that is the priesthood of all believers and every member evangelism, will this kind of service build up the body of Christ? It is the only kind that will For it is certainly the only service that will build up the church in numbers, and it is also the only service that will produce real and lasting spiritual growth in the members. And so Christ calls us, Christ invites us, and then Christ instructs us to go out and to evangelize and to share the gospel. But you know, Jesus has given us a plan for that. Now, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke 24. And we're going to look at kind of some of the closing portion of Luke 24 as we respond to what does it mean to go and tell? What does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to share the gospel or to evangelize to those who do not know? If you have your Bibles open at Luke 24, I'm going to read from verse 30 onwards. Reading from verse 30. When he was at the table with them, that is Jesus. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You know, the background to that passage in Luke just before that is we read of the resurrection of Christ where the woman discover the, that Christ has been raised to life and they run back and tell the disciples and the disciples don't fully understand and fully believe. And so two of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears with them, only they don't know it's Jesus. And, and kind of Jesus asked them, you know, what are you talking about? And they explain. And, and Jesus then opens Scripture to them and, and teaches them from Scripture. And they still don't know until he reveals it to them as he breaks bread and then instructs. You know, when I read through this, this is the gospel. And so I'm kind of forced to go, okay, well, what's the background to the gospel here? You know, those disciples who were returning to Emmaus uh, had just returned to the other disciples to tell them what had happened. And in that journey on that road to Emmaus, Jesus explains to them that the crucifixion and his death was planned from the beginning. It wasn't a surprise. It didn't just come by chance. Jesus opened their eyes to what the Old Testament wrote about what the prophets, what the writings, what the Psalms spoke of. And, and he opens their eyes and their minds and they understand the scripture. You know, and so as they're now telling that story to the disciples around them, as they're sharing in amazement what has happened, Jesus appears to them. In the same way he had left those disciples on the road, so now he appears to the whole crowd of disciples in this room. And, and, and he begins by reminding them that he's not a ghost. I would have loved to have seen their faces. We use that expression now and again. We'll look at somebody who perhaps looks a little pale or looks a little shocked and we'll say, hey, you know, you look like you've seen a ghost. And so these disciples kind of feel like we've seen a ghost. And Jesus points out, no, look, I'm physical, I'm real, I'm human. And he invites them to touch his hands and his feet. Spirits aren't physical, you can't touch them. And so this, this resurrection body has a connection to his pre-resurrection body. The marks of the cross are on his body. Again, he, he eats something because a spirit or a ghost cannot eat anything. And Jesus is saying, look, I am flesh and bone. I, I am human. But of course we know he is fully man and fully God. And so he has this ability to still appear and, and disappear. And so we kind of go, well, what does that prove? What's the importance of that? Well, it proves that Jesus literally and bodily rose from the dead. The Greek word that we get resurrection from is anastasis. And, and it really, it means to come back to life from, from being dead up into life. It's linked to the Greek word anastemi, which means to stand again. And Jesus is showing them that he has risen from the dead. You know, people have tried to make excuses for the resurrection all through history, right? From this time. You know, there are people who would say, no, Jesus didn't die. Somebody else died in his place. Of course, that's just deception. That's fraud. That's not at all what Scripture teaches. No one died in Jesus' place. It was Jesus who died on the cross. <laughs> there are others who believe Jesus merely fainted. He, he didn't really die. 
And, and I, that blows my mind. It's laughable. You know, when somebody says Jesus fainted or just kind of pretended, you know, my response is, okay, sure, fair enough. Uh, why don't you go through the torture that Jesus went through? Why don't you hang on a cross, be stabbed in the side by that spear, be laid in a tomb sealed for three days and see how well you revive? See if you're able to roll that stone away. No, Jesus was dead. And one of the other excuses for the resurrection is that Jesus didn't raise physically. Uh, he simply raised as a spirit. You know, that's known as docetism. Uh, and that's been in the church for centuries, which is really just a, a heresy that denies the humanity of Christ. In fact, it, it, it sort of says his sufferings were just apparent. And they don't, don't link. They're not real. He only appeared. He didn't physically exist because he was just a spirit. You know, historic church councils met and debated and wrestled to overcome and prevent that heresy from entering into the church. This is why a number of our old creeds and statements of faith point and, and mention directly that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And though it blows our mind, we cannot deny he was human and man. And so Jesus proves this by sharing, by touching, by eating. And so we kind of read that and go, well, so what? What do we do with that? Well, quite clearly, Jesus' resurrection is what separates him from other religious leaders. The fact that Christ died but rose back to life. No other religious claims, no other religious leaders can make that claim. And Jesus shows us that not only did he die for the forgiveness of sins, but he rose back to life showing he has the power to give life and to give life forevermore. And because Jesus lives, I know that I too will live. So what then, if that's the background of the gospel, what is the content of the gospel? And, and we see that in this, this portion here. You know, we talk about the Old Testament. That's how we understand uh, the Old Testament books of the Bible. But of course, for the Jews, for the disciples of Jesus, they didn't have the Old Testament. They simply had their Jewish scriptures, their, their books. And so they had Moses, and they had the writings, and they had the prophets, those three main divisions of Jewish scripture. And Jesus points out to them that all three of those portions don't simply talk about Christ or the Messiah. They point to the death and resurrection of the Messiah and of the Christ. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 are two of probably the most well-known and famous of those. For the Jews, they understood the sacrificial system was that that looked ahead to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And when we read the book of Hebrews, even though that's in the New Testament, that points back to that sacrificial system and reminds everyone that sacrificial system pointed to Christ. It shouldn't have surprised the disciples, yet it did. Yet it did. And that Christ suffered and died an agonizing death because of the horrible nature of sin. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. The Old Testament 
writer, the prophet Jeremiah, writes in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so on that road to Emmaus, and then in that upper room that we've just read with the disciples, Christ opens their minds to understand Scripture. They didn't come to that understanding of their own. I kind of see that mirrored in Matthew 18, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus points out that that was revealed to him. His mind was open to that. God revealed it to him. So we read that and we kind of go, okay, if, if this is the, the, the content of the gospel, what do we do with that? How do we apply that? Well, we have to remind ourselves that both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are central to the entire gospel message. It's not just tacked on. We don't only proclaim Jesus died for my sins. Yes, indeed, Jesus did die for my sins. But it doesn't end there. Jesus rose back to life. And so we preach, we preach Christ crucified, but risen again. And as we read through this, we're reminded that we don't only preach, we don't only share, we need to be praying that God will open people's minds, that God will open their minds to understand and to receive it. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And we pray for people that God would open their eyes. He would open their mind and they would understand and see the gospel. You know, one commentator wrote, the missionary's two instruments are witness and scripture. And this is what the early Christians did. This is what the disciples did as Christ had opened the scriptures to them. So they taught on those scriptures. They pointed to those scriptures. But at the same time, they witnessed to the resurrection. That was the early church. They were simply witnesses. It was the resurrection of Christ that changed them and released them, and renewed them. You know, when we speak of the gospel, well, where do we begin? You know, we begin with repentance. It's the first step towards receiving forgiveness. We turn from sin. We don't wallow in it. We don't sit kind of going, woe is me, look at my sin. No, we repent from our sin, and we turn we read this in Acts chapter 13. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And of course that makes sense. If, if we repent, if we turn, because that's what repent means. I'm going this way, but now I turn from it. If I'm no longer facing that, then who or what am I facing? And the scriptures invite us. We face Christ and Christ alone. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
means we turn to Christ alone and find salvation in Christ alone. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We preach repentance and turning away from sin and toward Christ. And I love how Jesus, as he instructs the disciples, he gives them the practical side as well. And he says, stay here in Jerusalem. Be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. Yes, there will be the sending out. There will come that time as we go out into the whole world. But for now, begin in Jerusalem. So what does that mean for you and I? What does that look like for you and I? Well, that means we begin in our own house. We begin in our own street with our neighbors. Uh, we begin in our own neighborhood, in the places that God places us. And we present and we proclaim and we share the gospel and we witness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And as we do that, so then we wait for God to send us out wherever he might send us. And when I read through this, I'm kind of going, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means we don't get to change the content of the gospel. We don't get to change this good news of Jesus Christ. We simply worship God because of what he has done through Christ. And we tell the world. We tell the world that Jesus is alive. You know, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 48, You are witnesses of these things. These disciples were to be eyewitnesses. Here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This is what we were to be witnesses of. From the very beginning as we've seen and heard and handled it. So we go and we tell. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And what Peter is saying is we weren't false witnesses. We didn't tell you some myth or some fable. We told you what we saw and what we experienced and what we know. And we share and we bear witness to that. Where, though, does our power come from? Where is this power to be able to proclaim and be witnesses of the gospel? In verse 49, Jesus tells the disciples, wait here until what I've promised comes. And we know from previous reading, we understand that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit to enable the disciples to be his witnesses, to face persecution, to handle cross-examination. And so Jesus says to them, wait, pray, Wait, and you will be anointed with power by the Holy Spirit, and then you will be able to go and go out. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit has come. Pentecost has happened. You and I no longer need to simply wait, saying, I'm just waiting for power. We have that power available to us as we step out in faith, and as we say, okay, God, yes, I will go and testify to your resurrection. I will be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and helps us in that point. You know, we've gone through the book of Luke, and we, we talk about, well, how does the Holy Spirit help us? You know, Luke 
writes another book in the Bible, the book of Acts. And, and the two are meant to be read together. And in a couple of months' time, we're going to be going through kind of portions of the book of Acts, reminding ourselves just what the Holy Spirit enables us to do and what He empowers us to do. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit doesn't enable and empower us for our own good or for our own sake. He enables us to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, to tell the world that Jesus lives. So how do I conclude this? How do I conclude the Luke series? Well, I think from this chapter, Jesus has invited, Jesus has instructed us to move out. Jesus has given us everything we need to be successful. Not successful in life or in monetary terms or in fame or, or those kind of things. No, no, no. To be successful in proclaiming the gospel because that's why we're here. You know, my dream when I think of White Rock Baptist Church, I don't long for an, a, a church just full of people for the sake of being full of people. Not at all. You know, when I dream about White Rock Baptist and, and as crazy it is right now as I'm talking to a camera and, and this place is empty, I, I, I view this place as being full of people who are enabled and equipped by the Holy Spirit who are worshiping God but going out and telling the world and making disciples of Jesus Christ. A place where men and women, young and old, of all cultures, of all colors, of, of every part of life, are able to come in and find the welcome and the peace of God, who are able to find grace and the life of Jesus Christ, and who receive that life and, and who become a part of this family of, of all of us. And then, as we are family together in Christ, so to go out and to tell the world and to make known that Jesus is alive. My friends, I pray that Luke, and as we've gone through Luke, would not just be another checkbox. If there's another book I've read through, there's another book I've listened to a bunch of sermons from. I pray that as we finish Luke, this would resonate with you and the Holy Spirit would begin to stir in you to go and bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as God does that, may we see his kingdom come here in White Rock, in South Surrey, our Jerusalem, and then may we see God send us out to the ends of the world. Let's pray together. Father, I, I'm blown away as I read through this book of Luke, as I read the account of Jesus Christ, as I read the gospel, the good news. And I'm reminded, just as Jesus said to those disciples, and so he says to me, this was the gospel proclaimed even in the Old Testament. Even through the prophets, the writings, through Moses, they all pointed to you, Jesus. That yes, there is salvation in no other name but Christ. There is salvation in, in the fact that you died for our sins. But Jesus, you didn't stay dead. You rose back to life, thereby showing us that you give eternal life. God, I pray for myself. I pray for those watching today. I pray for White Rock Baptist Church. Lord, you've placed us into all these different areas and places around, around the city and indeed in, in other parts of the world. 
I pray that you would use us as witnesses and we would yield to your Holy Spirit's prompting and we would go out and we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not for our sakes, but for your kingdom's sake. And indeed, God, we pray, would you open the doors to church again that we might be able to gather again. But Lord, remind us, once we are able to gather, we don't gather for our own sakes. We don't gather just to feel good. We don't gather in a holy huddle or a spiritual ghetto. We gather to worship you and to go and to make disciples. Oh God, use our church, your church in each area to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your eternal, matchless name, Jesus Christ. And together we say, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you as you engage with that challenge and that call.